This morning, would you please turn your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Nehemiah in chapter 7. We're in Nehemiah chapter 7 today. In our series on this Old Testament book, we're working through the historical account of the rebuilding of a protective wall around the city of Jerusalem. And we are at a pivotal point in the book in chapter 7. And as you open up your Bibles to the text today and you give it a a casual look, just look at all of chapter 7, you might be thinking, what is he going to say today anyways about this chapter? And why did God put chapter 7 of Nehemiah in the Bible. It's just one of those chapters that you wonder why God took up space in the Bible for that. And if you are a preacher, Pastor John and Dave and Pastor Ron, you're wondering, what is he going to say about this chapter? And anyways, um, this chapter serves as a pivotal point in the book of Nehemiah. In chapters 1 through 6, what we've already been through, Uh, It describes the restoration of the wall of Jerusalem. And then chapters 8 through 13 to the very end of the book, it tells about the restoration of people. So chapters 1 through 6 is about the wall, the restoration of it, and then the rest of the book after chapter 7, it's the restoration or the rebuilding of people. And chapter 7 begins with three verses describing the precautions that Nehemiah took to guard the newly walled city from attack. And it wraps up the first half of the book. And then verses 4 through 73 look forward to the reforms of the second half of the book by showing how Nehemiah, how he went about repopulating the city so that it would be a a place for a vital center for national and spiritual renewal. So let's take a look at Nehemiah chapter 7. I'm just going to read the first few verses for our text today. In verse 1, After the wall had been rebuilt, I had set the doors in place. The gatekeepers, the musicians, and the Levites were appointed. I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most people do. I said to them, The gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot. While the gatekeepers are still on duty, have them shut the doors and bar them. Also appoint the residents of Jerusalem as guards, some at their posts and some near their own houses. Now the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it, and the houses had not yet been rebuilt. So my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration by families. I found the genealogical record of those who had been the first to return, and this is what I found there. This is God's word for us today. And what follows, really, what he found there was a list of names. And so why would God put this list of many unpronounceable names in the Bible once here, but he does it a second time. Especially makes you wonder why, when you realize that verses 6 through 73 are essentially the same as the Old Testament book of Ezra in chapter 2. So why is this 
these names noted in chapter 7 of Nehemiah, and virtually the same genealogy is noted in the book of Ezra, chapter 2. Now, in Ezra, the list of names of those who returned from Babylon under Zerubbabel in 536 B.C. served to document who was truly Jewish. That's what that list was for. And in Nehemiah, nearly a century later, in 444 B.C., the list answers the question, who was available to repopulate the city and to provide for temple worship? Nehemiah uses this list to instill in, in the people a reminder that of their national identity as God's people and then to encourage them to fulfill their responsibilities in, in light of this identity. So to go a little bit deeper and to kind of compare those two lists, there are variations actually in those two lists in Ezra 2 and Nehemiah chapter 7 that are difficult and, if not impossible, to sort of reconcile. Now, Derek Kidner, who's a scholar, and he wrote a book called Ezra and Nehemiah. It's an Old Testament commentary. He points out this, for those of you who care. Uh, he points out that, uh, that the names in the two lists show only the slightest variations, he says, whereas half the numbers disagree, apparently, just at random. And he argues that this is, in these two lists, a classic example of how difficult it was for scribes to copy lists of Hebrew numbers. So they had a document here, and then they were inscribing the, what was here. And so they didn't have your digital files that you can attach to an email. They didn't have their copy machines. They would have to, and there was a whole process to it to see what was on this list and then scribe it here so that they can have another copy. Now, the doctrine of inerrancy asserts that the Bible is without error in the original manuscripts. And since we only possess copies, sometimes we're not able to reconcile conflicting details that have come from scribal errors, but to set aside sort of these technical, scholarly questions, there is a spiritual message to Nehemiah chapter 7, and that's what we're going to get at today. About a month ago, I, I shared with you about a friend, a, a woman that um, I met at a checkout uh, line at the nearby grocery store. I call her a friend. I, I see her when I go there, if she's there. And she told me at that time, right around Christmas time, that she was an atheist. Just light conversation here at the checkout line at the grocery store. <laughs> and as she was ringing up my groceries, um, she considers herself an atheist. That, that's really what it comes down to. And Recently, I, I uh, went to that same grocery store. I'm always kind of looking to where she's at so I can have a chance to, to talk with her again. And, and, uh, and I, I saw her just a, a couple weeks ago. And I asked her how her day was going, and, and she politely said it was, it was a good day, which it wasn't a good day in the times before. And then I told her, I said, I, I've been praying for you. And she politely smiled again. But I could really tell 
just the weight of all of her problems and her pain, which I really don't know, was just burdening her. And so I wanted to say something to her. And so knowing that she considered herself an atheist, but she was really hoping that God would show up one day in her life. I, I said to her, I said, I, I want you to know, grab my bags and I was getting ready to go. And I said, I want you to know that God created you and, he, and you matter so much to him. And then I just picked up my bags and I left. You know, everywhere I go in this community, and really throughout throughout this nation, you run into people, and they're so busy, it seems, and they're so overloaded, and they're so preoccupied, that I think people are always asking, and I think you would agree with me, that people are asking themselves, does my life really count for anything? I mean, I'm just busy, I'm doing my thing, I'm building my business, I'm working hard, I'm trying to figure out my house and my kids and my friends and all of that. But I think people are really asking, does my life really, does anyone care about what's really going on? And I think people are asking, do I really, why why does everything feel like it's not worthwhile? All the stuff that I'm doing in my life It's just sort of meaningless. And I love to tell people that you matter to God, that God cares for you deeply. He created you, and there's a reason why he created you. And God cares so deeply for each and every person. As we look briefly into chapter 7 of Nehemiah, Let's, let's ask this. Open up your notes, and, and they're in your, in your bulletin and your, on your app. Let's, let's ask this. What really matters to God? And let's, let's pull that out of chapter 7 today. What really matters to God? Well, number one is this. If anything really matters to God, number one is worship. Worship matters to God. And in verse 1 of Nehemiah chapter 7, <clears throat> Nehemiah writes, After the wall had been rebuilt, I had set the doors in place, and the gatekeepers, the musicians, and the Levites were appointed. Now, Nehemiah mentions here that he, after the walls were rebuilt and he puts the gates in place, he appoints gatekeepers and singers and Levites. And many commentators, many scholars look at this, and they say that these worship leaders were also assigned to guard the city gates, and so they were pulling double duty in this. And while that might be so, that while that may be so, scholars say that these men take priority here because worship was the city's reason for existence. That's why Jerusalem exists. It was for worship. And maybe they worked on their leading of worship, they worked on their research and their study, or they worked on their, their, uh, their, their music while standing guard. But the reason for protecting the city from invaders was not just so everyone could live securely. There was a reason why. And that primary reason was the priority of worship. That the worship of God could once again take place in the city that was being rebuilt. 
And from what we read in, in the book of Revelation, and, and we read in chapter 5, most of the activity will be spent in the praise of God, in, in worship of God. In, in Revelation 5, the saints gather with angels and the four living creatures and the 24 elders, and they sing out, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And they, and they sing, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And this worship carries on and on and on in heaven. And we'll be so caught up when we get there, so caught up in the beauty and the glory of God that we will be lost in sort of a wonder and a, in a love and an awe and praise. Our worship here at Nova matters to God. <clears throat> so I wonder today, can I ask you, is this gathering, is this gathering of, of people here, is this heaven for you? Is this a slice of heaven for you? Or are you just here because it's just the thing to do? You're just so used to being here on Sunday mornings like this. And I, and I think sometimes when you're here, there are burdens still carry on of unforgiveness and of anger and, and regret. But I, I'm here to tell you that, that worship is a priority of God. Everyone has been troubled by the violence as Thomas has prayed this morning, the violence and the tragedy in our world today. And we have real questions and concerns. I'm so glad that the worship team sang that, that song of lament, led us in that today. It, it just spoke to my heart about, I'm sad and, and yet God is worthy to be praised and how do I put those two things together? On, on Friday morning I was watching the news really early and spending some time with God and I pulled out my um, renewal, the Nova Lenten devotional and I was reading in, in Friday's reading and it, it really spoke to me. Butch Paredes, one of our board members, wrote this on for Friday and, and he writes this. I now read this passage, Psalm 23, and understand the overwhelming feelings David has for God. In the infinite amount of love Jesus Christ has for us. Through Jesus, this psalm is about praise and comfort and strength and confidence and love eternal. Jesus gave his blood and his body for us so that we may live in eternity with him. And he says to us in John 14, Do not let your hearts be troubled. And my, tr my heart was so troubled that morning about what I was watching on the news do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go, and I go, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. John 14, 1 through 3. You see, the worship of God is, is not just the songs that we sing. It's, it's all of life. In, in Romans chapter 12, that classic verse of that all of life is, is about worship, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. 
Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. All of life is worship. I walked out to the playground as they're under, under construction this week, and the installers were there, and they're working hard, and and I'm looking through the fence and, and just in awe of what God is, is doing here. And um, I didn't hear him because there was so much noise of the construction guys. And, and there was a man that walked up and he lives right in, down the street in the neighborhood here. He's walking his grandchild. And he pulls up right next to me. It kind of startled me. And, uh, and I said to him, I said, Mike, I said, isn't this awesome? In, in, in my mind, I was worshiping. It was the worship of God, the awesomeness of God that was here. And, and I was thinking about the awesome gifts that God has given. And, and he's given to this church and the resourcing of this church. And as I think about it, and I, I know some of you, you come here and you look across this campus and you think, this is incredible. And it's worship. That's worship. But I was saying to Mike, I said, isn't this awesome? And I, I was thinking in my mind about the campaign and the, the daunting task of the campaign to, 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 to open up our hearts into this community and to raise money so that we can build things like the playground and, and to open up our, our, our uh, worship center into a south-facing and an amphitheater and a prayer guard. And I was thinking about all these things, and I was saying, isn't God awesome? As I was thinking that, and it was worship. And I was, I was thinking about how God's given us a vision and a purpose for, for this church and how, how incredible that is. And it was all worship. And Mike says to me, he says... Um, it must have cost a pretty penny. And I said, yeah. I said, our God is so rich, and I'm so, he, so glad he shares it with his family. And he said, can anyone play here, our neighbor said. And I said, yes. This is for everyone. It was worship. Worship changes us. It transforms us from the inside out all of life is worship and worship matters to god the second thing we find here in chapter seven is is not just worship matters to god but number two character character matters to god in verses two and three nehemiah writes i put in charge of jerusalem my brother hanani along with hananiah the commander of the citadel because he was a man of integrity and feared god more than most people do I said to them, the gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened till the sun is hot, while the gatekeepers are still on duty. Have them shut the doors and bar them. Also appoint residents of Jerusalem as guards, some at their, at their posts and some near their own houses. Now, Nehemiah was an exemplary leader, and we know that. And he knew to be effective, he couldn't be a controlling leader. He needed to delegate responsibility because the task was too large. It was, it, was, it was too big, and he needed to appoint other competent leaders. And while certain skill sets are necessary for leadership, for effective leadership, the main requirement in a situation like this has got to be godly character. And Nehemiah picked two people. Hanani, who was, it, it appears to be, that's his brother, his blood brother, who had come to him when Nehemiah was the wine taster in the king's castle in Susa. And he, he was the first one to bring this news to Nehemiah that the gates of Jerusalem were, were, break, were, were, were broken down. And so Nehemiah appointed his brother as the civil leader or 
I guess we can even think of that as the mayor of Jerusalem. And then Hananiah was appointed as the military leader. So maybe he was the commander of the military, maybe the police chief. He was in charge of those security things. And he was a faithful man, and he feared God more than others, we read. And together they're charged to not open the city gates so the sun is high in the sky or until it was hot. And the scholars are thinking it's because if you open it early in the morning, then the city, there wouldn't be people walking around the city. And if there were more people out, out in the area, that there would be more security there. They are also to appoint guards from the residents in the city, each near their own houses. And what I find here are three godly character traits. The first one we find here is faithfulness. The, from the original Hebrew word, it's all about reliability and about truthfulness and firmness. You know, we've been interviewing people here for the position of uh, director of worship ministries. And um, as we interview people, I, I'm struck by looking at their resumes and it's worship ministries and it's about music and, and uh, working with uh, sound technicians and and working with people and, and all of that in the Sunday service. And so they produce their resumes and it's, they're accomplished people in, as musicians and singers. But as we interview them, really what we're really looking for is we're looking for faithfulness. We're looking for humility. We're looking for, are you a worshiper of God? Or do you work well with people? We're looking for, not can you sizzle that guitar, or do you have an incredible voice? Of course we want that. But we're looking for faithfulness in those character traits. We're also looking here, as Nehemiah writes, about the fear of God. And it's not being scared of God. I had a conversation with some, some folks that are new to Nova, and we talked about the fear of God a little bit. And it's not being afraid of God or scared of God necessarily, but a healthy understanding that God is God and I am not. This healthy relationship with God changes you from the inside out. It changes the outlook of your life. It's faithfulness is the character we're looking for. It's a fear of God, and then it's watchfulness. Nehemiah not only built the wall with a sword in one hand and a hammer in the other, he taught his people to to do the same he posted guards while giving, giving careful instruction to these appointed leaders to guard the city. And I, and I think it's interesting because he trusted God and yet he also set up a guard. And so I think sometimes we can stop and think, do those two things oppose each other? I trust God, but I'm also going to be alert. And I think that they can go hand in hand. Jesus warns his followers to, to be on Alert, and he also said, But I'm with you all the way. And I think it's interesting to note that this was a time of success for Nehemiah and the people of Jerusalem. They completed the wall, it was an effective wall. The gates were in place. It was a time for victory, it was a time for success. And yet he said, We still need to be on guard. And I think about us as we're anticipating something really wonderful in this playground being built. And just in a couple weeks, we'll have a grand opening, and and it's going to be an incredible moment. We're all excited for that. And it'll be, in a sense, a first step of success for us in our campaign. 
we need to be on alert still. We need to be careful because the enemy often hits right after a victory. What does God care about? He cares about worship. He cares about character. And the third thing he cares about that we'll see here is he cares about people. He cares about people. In Nehemiah chapter 7, verses 4 and 5, it says, Now the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it, and the houses had not yet been rebuilt. So my God put it in my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration by families. I found the genealogical record of those who had been first to return. And if you'd like to read through that list, you're welcome to this week. Um, But from a historical and a prophetic perspective, this list These Jewish genealogical records are important because when Jesus Messiah came to earth, it was important to prove that he descended from the tribe of Judah and from the family line of David. And maybe these names don't mean much to us, but they really matter to God because he knows his people by name. Jesus said in John chapter 10 that gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. He knows his sheep by name, and he leads them out, and he calls for them. They know his voice. The fact that individual people matter so much to God needs to inform us that individuals, they need to matter to us, too. I'm ashamed to say I don't always wear a name tag, but I wore one today. And I think some of you um, who've been here, especially those who have been here a long time, or maybe those who, of you who are relatively new, um, some of you don't wear name tags, and maybe you don't even know. You see the table, and you kind of walk right past it, and I saw some people do that today, but that's, that's okay. But I think it's, you're, you're um, mistaken if you think, I've been here a long time, everyone knows me. Because new people don't know you. And you know, a name tag is so easy because you don't have to be concerned that, oh, I met you one time, but I forgot your name, and now I'm embarrassed to even talk to you. That happens a lot, doesn't it? So I think we should think about that a little bit. And I think we're creatures of habit, and I know I am. And most of us sit when we come to worship in the same neighborhood, don't we? And so you get to know people in your neighborhood um, because that's just, you know, I hear people, oh, that, we always sit over there, or, you, know, you know, put our stuff down, you know, where we always sit. And I, I just wanted to say, maybe next Sunday, sit in a different neighborhood so that you would get to know somebody different in someone else's neighborhood. And every time we gather, I think it's good to make a habit to at least one person to reach out to one person you don't know too well. And if it's that person that you met them before, maybe even two or three times, and you forgot their name, let's give everyone a break, okay? And I, I do that too. And so I always have to humble myself and say, I'm sorry and I'm embarrassed. I forgot your name. My name's Dean. And we start all over again. I think we need to give each other a break there. And it's okay if you forget someone's name. See, our, our culture, our world, it promotes different things than sort of more individual people-centered. It promotes a bigger and a better and a beauty, more beautiful and a, and a richer. 
It promotes popularity and more likes and followers and friends on social media. And our culture shift has a tendency to draw attention away from individuals. And it draws you into this obsession, really, that's self-centered. But the gospel's different. Jesus tells a parable in Matthew chapter 25 about a king. And the king says, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance and come into the kingdom. And in verse 35, he kind of changes things. And he says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and thirsty? And, and when did we see you a stranger and needing clothes? And when were you sick? And the king's going to reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And it, it just reminds me that every person matters. Every person we had a board meeting a couple weeks ago, and in, in a, the first third of the board meeting, we spend in pray, prayer. And so I, I said, let's go out to the playground that was being constructed, and, and there was hardly anything there. There was just a fence and a big hole in the ground. But we went out and we just prayed an open-eyed prayer as we're looking through the fence at, at uh, all the things that were going to take place. And we were praying for people who were going to be here and kids and we're praying for safety of workers and and we were just thanking God for all that he's done for us and I was standing right in front of this section and you can see it when you go out there today and it's right in front of the section where they cut out um, this piece that's that's uh, moving into this big hole in the playground and I realized what that was it was the ramp that makes the playground accessible for those in wheelchairs and those who can't walk well. And then I realized that when we ordered the equipment that at least a third, maybe even up to a half of the playground apparatus is, is uh, designed so that disabled children can play on it. And as we were praying, I was just so moved in that God reminded me that even for the least of these he cares deeply for. And so should we. In the book of beginnings in Genesis, it says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. In each and every individual, every person is created by God to bear his image. We're all image bearers of God. And he created each and every human to have a relationship with himself. And God's perfect and we're not. We're flawed. We're sinful. And we're separated from him because he's perfect and we're not. And God loved us even though we were estranged from him. And so he sent his son Jesus as a bridge to bridge the gap between imperfection and perfection in God. And Jesus took our sin, our imperfection, our sin, put it on himself, and he died a death that we couldn't die. And three days later, Jesus was resurrected from the dead by the power of God. And as you put your trust in Jesus today, 
and believe that he died on the cross for your sins, personally, you will live forever with him in heaven. Let's pray together.